0: growing in God's Word, and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. If you're
1: a shopper, sales matter, right? If you own a gun, the Second Amendment matters
0: to you. If you like Christmas movies, the Hallmark Channel matters to you, right? What matters to you? For many people, wealth and possessions matter. The big house, the expensive car, for some people, health, being in shape, working out, and eating right. That's what really matters. If you ask all kinds of people, you're going to get all kinds of answers. So, what matters to you?
1: You, you could probably ask a thousand different people and get a thousand different answers about, you know, this, this really matters to me. But as a follower of Jesus, what matters for a follower of Jesus? As Paul closes out this first letter to the church in Corinth. What jumps out at me is what I see as four things that Paul says, this is what matters. This is what matters.
0: Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. Well today we're coming to the end of what has been a healthy study of the New Testament book or letter known as First Corinthians. The Apostle Paul, the author of this letter, has given much instruction, much direction, a good bit of correction, and plenty of inspiration.
1: What seems to be coming through in, in Corinthians among all the stuff that we've discussed lawsuits, spiritual gifts, sexual immorality, and all this kind of stuff is going on in Corinth. Through all of that, it's always coming back to for Paul is what matters for the body of Christ? What is best for the body of Christ?
0: But as the letter closes out, the Holy Spirit, through Paul, leaves the Corinthians and us with a reminder of what really matters in life. Here's Pastor Clay with today's message. I wanna-
1: Glad you're here. Appreciate you being here today Uh, very much. I I really do. I I appreciate your prayers and your concern for us as my mom went home to be with Jesus this week. Uh, Really, so many people have said so many kind things and and, and just uh, can't express our gratitude enough to you. Uh, We're we're truly... we're overjoyed honestly that uh, that we don't have to see her in the condition she was and how she continued to decline uh, physically just her she was so ready I've told everybody that listen to me for at least three years she's been ready to go see Jesus and so uh, she finally got her wish on that and uh, we're grateful for that but but certainly all his concerns prayers everything that you've said and done for us has been uh, been a blessing. So thank you for that. You know, when you when you when you talk about death, when you when you when you talk about someone leaving this uh, this earth, it, it's it really can be kind of a time to reflect and think back about this this thing of life. Because um, if, if you're here and you're you know eight or fifteen or or even twenty two, you don't believe it, but life passes so quickly, so quickly, so quickly. You cannot believe how fast it goes. Um, I, I know the clock is still 24 hours. I know it's still the same time it was when I was eight years old. But I'm telling you, you just you, you turn around and another month is gone. Another year is gone. And so, uh, thinking about that and thinking about the fact that everybody's going to leave this place one day. I want to ask you a question this morning as we get started. What? What is life about? What is life uh, for you? What... Matters for you, I guess. What I'm saying, what matters for you in life. You know, a lot of people could answer that a, a lot of different ways. If you're a sports fan, uh, this time of year probably really matters. I was, I was thinking about it. Uh, baseball is is in the playoffs. Uh, football season's just baseball season in the playoff. Football season's just kind of hitting its stride. Hockey season opened this uh, past week. I mean, if you're into that kind of stuff, man. I mean, that uh, that, that probably matters. If you're a shopper, sales matter. Right? Right? Come on. If you own a gun, the Second Amendment matters to you. If you like Christmas movies, the Hallmark Channel matters to you. Right? You, you could probably ask a thousand different people and give a thousand, get a thousand different answers about, you know, this, this is really matters to me. This is what matters to me. But as a follower of Jesus, okay, to bring it to bring it home to where you know it was going to come, to bring it home. What matters for a follower of Jesus? As Paul closes out, unbelievably, as Paul closes out this, this first letter to the church in Corinth, uh, as I look at that text, what, what, what jumps out at me is what I see as, as four things that Paul says this is what matters. This is what matters. Now, if you've been with us in this series, you may remember I've said this several times throughout the series, uh, what, what seems to be coming through in, in Corinthians among all the stuff that we 've discussed, and there's so much lawsuits and spiritual gifts and sexual immorality and, and all this kind of stuff's going on in Corinth that, he, that he's talked about. But, but through all of that, what I kept seeing, and I think I've said this several times is that it's always coming back to for Paul is what matters for the body of Christ what is best for the body of Christ that's what it always seems to be coming back to and so it's not surprising to me that he closes out the letter with coming back to four things that matter I want to share those with you uh, today we're going to start with this one I'm going to read the text as I go this morning but we're going to start with this one generosity matters in the kingdom of God generosity matters now let me read first Corinthians chapter 16 and I'm going to read verses 1 through 4 Okay? Now, concerning the collection for the saints, as I direct the churches of Galatia, so do you also. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper, so that no collection be made when I come. When I arrive, whomever you may approve, I will send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem, and if it is fitting for me to go also, they will go with me. You know, uh, talking about money in church can be a difficult subject to uh, to to bring up. Quite honestly, maybe uh, I, I, I've, some preachers don't seem to have any pro- problem doing it at all, uh, it, but it's always been kind of a struggle for me. Uh, to talk about money in, in church, uh, partly because uh, I, as a pastor, I'm always aware of, of that, that person that comes into church that maybe hasn't been in church in years. That someone has been inviting and inviting and inviting, and that it just somehow it works out that the, the Sunday they come uh, the the pastor is speaking on money and 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 you know you know what they're thinking. like I knew it, I knew it that 's all that church is interested in is money that 's all they talk about is money, I knew it that that happened to me one time uh, at a previous church I was pastoring. Um, there was a family that had been inviting this other family, and they were inviting inviting inviting, and the, and the husband was just he was opposed to he wasn 't interested in it and all this stuff and and i don 't know how long this went on a couple of years or however long it was, but but finally, Andy agreed, and he decided to come to, to church and so they came to church and they came to church on the very Sunday where we were kicking off this big capital campaign to uh, for some 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 vision of some building things that needed to go on and uh, and that 's all the whole service was about money it was, it was the whole th- whole thing was about money. And the the family that had invited Andy and his family to come came up to me after service. And they were, I mean, he was mad. The dude was mad. He was like, I cannot believe you, you did this. Do you know how long I've been trying to get Andy to come to church? I've been trying and trying and trying. He finally comes. And the Sunday he comes, all you talk about is money. I cannot believe it. And I, feel, I felt bad. I really, I felt, I felt bad. But, 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 you know, the truth is that it's God who does the saving. It's God that does the work in a person's life. And I have discovered that, that if God is working in a person's life, if the Spirit of God is drawing a person to him, then, then it doesn't matter whether it's money or, or, or whatever you're talking about. If the Spirit of God is drawing a person to him, God will draw that person God will save. But they were mad. But you know what? Andy came back next week. And he came back the week after that. The week after that, I don't, know how many, I don't know how many Sundays went by, but Andy gave his life to Jesus Christ eventually. He came to a relationship with Jesus Christ. I can remember, I, I was mentoring uh, Andy. We met uh, once a week at the Burger King, and I can remember meeting with him one time, and he told me that, that, he, that he had something in his throat that was kind of irritating and, and bothering him, and it, it turned out that Andy had throat cancer, and uh, he he put a valiant battle on, but but he eventually went home to heaven. He went to be with Jesus. But he went to be with Jesus because somebody kept inviting, kept asking, kept drawing him. So just keep that in mind. Yeah. But that can make money hard to talk about. Money can also be hard to talk about because even believers, can we just be honest? Even believers, we know, we know the, the pull of possessions. We know the, the pressures of, of payments due. Right? We know that, that kind of stuff, and, and, and so it, it can be hard to talk about this kind of thing. I don't think it's by accident that Paul closes out his letter. I mean, he just jumps right into this discussion of, of, of money, because here, here's what I've discovered while it can be hard to talk about money or think about money in the context of church and how that works out and what my responsibilities are and what I should do and maybe I, maybe I struggle in this area of, of, of coming under God's obedience in the area of finances. Can I just say this to you? The answer is really relatively simple. And the answer is this. Allow God to develop a generous spirit in us. That, that's really the answer. To allow God to, to develop a generous spirit in us. So that it overwhelms those those pressures or those those pulls that, that, that might be keeping us from coming under obedience to that area of our life. In, in here in First Corinthians sixteen, uh, Paul talks about this idea of giving and the and the importance of this generous spirit. And there's something I want I want you to notice that, that he begins by telling. And maybe Paul's maybe Paul's aware that maybe the Corinthians are going to be a little sensitive to some discussion about money. So he says to them, "Now, now, listen. This is not just you, Corinthians. I'm not picking on you. This is what I've taught in other churches as well. So one of the things that says to us about Paul's giving model here is that it is universal." This is what I teach everywhere, he says. This isn't, this isn't anything, I'm not just picking on you because, because y'all have money or don't, you know, don't have money, whatever the case may be. It, it, this idea of giving, as far as Paul is concerned, it, it is universal. Why don't you also notice that it is, it's consistent. That's another aspect of what Paul says. Look what he says in verse uh, 2. He says, On the first day of every week, Let each one of you put aside and save. Now, the context makes clear that he's not talking about putting aside and saving for your own bank account, okay? It's fine to to have your savings and have a bank account, but clearly the context is to put aside and save an amount to give to the work of the ministry, to give to the church. In this specific case, it was to go to uh, help the church in Jerusalem, which had come under hard times probably due to persecution that would have probably been affecting the church in Jerusalem by that point it's so probably due to persecution the church in Jerusalem the believers there in Jerusalem were struggling and so uh that's that's in this case is what they're going to use the money for but but the point is is that this this giving is is universal on the first day of every week, we let each one of you it's what I teach in all the churches it's it's consistent on the first day of every week it's consistent. Whether you get paid weekly or biweekly or monthly, the point is, he says, this this is consist. Do this consistently in your life. And here, here, here's one other aspect that he brings out: it's proportionate. We're going to hang on this one for just a minute. It's proportionate. Look what he says in, again in verse two: on the first day of every week, each one of you put aside and save. Watch this: as he may prosper, so that no collection be made. When I come, as he may prosper so that no collection be made when I come. Now, this phrase, as he may prosper, that's, a, that's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Because I, I, don't know, I don't know if you've thought about it, but as he may prosper can be a very subjunctive, subjective uh, phrase. You, you know what I mean? <laughs> well, one person's idea of, of prospering may be totally different from another person's idea of prospering you know what i mean so it's, it's interesting that paul why would he say as he may prosper that sure seems like it leaves the door open for for self determination of of what 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 it 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 should be as he may prosper that's you some of you have been places in the world where you and i would be considered wildly wealthy insanely rich and yet most of us think of ourselves as it's just trying to 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 get by pay our bills before we get a late charge so it's it's a very subjective term that's why it's, it's this is this, this is my conviction that what paul has in mind here is something the bible refers to as the tithe i think that's what paul has in mind is the tithe even though he does not specifically mention the tithe, I think that's what he has in mind because it so fits the bill of everything that he's describing here. It so fits perfectly everything that he's describing. It is, it is universal. Everybody contributes to it so that, so that everybody feels a part of the work. It's consistent, everybody does it on a regular basis, no matter, like I said, well, you get paid weekly, bi-weekly, monthly, whatever, it, it, the tithe, this, this biblical structure is set up so that it's consistent, ongoing, I just, I just know this is, this is what I want to do, this is what I'm going to do, It's is what God asked me to do, I'm, I'm happy to do it, and it takes care of the proportionate part as well, because it is based on a percentage of giving and not a dollar amount. So that, and here's why this is, this is important. I want you to hear me on this. So that in the eyes of God, if I'm obedient, if you're obedient, if this person, if we're obedient to God to give 10% or at least 10% of our income back to God, which is what, which is what the biblical model is, if we're consistent to do that, then every single one of us give the exact same amount in the eyes of God. If we're, if we're just in obedience to that area. Whether you make... a year, $100,000 a year, or a million dollars a year, if you're obedient to God in this area of your life, you're just as generous as the person that makes a million a year. Y'all could amen amen that a little more, but just saying. Let me tell you. One time at a a previous church, uh, I I was a new pastor, not been there very long. First first few Sundays, and I was getting to know some of the people, meeting some of the people, and some guy came up to me, And introduced himself, a little bit, you know, an older gentleman, introduced himself. Shook my hand, said his name, and then with this kind of this wry kind of smile, he he shook my hand, he said, one of your more, uh, let's see, how did he say Say, one of your more minor church contributors. It was kind of a smile on his face. Well, I knew what that meant. That was code for, I give a lot of money to this church, you better keep me happy. No, I had no idea how much, the, uh, how much money the man gave because I don't look, look at giving records. Never have? I don't. I don't look at giving records. I have no idea how much he gave. I know that he was wealthy uh, in, in material goods in this life, but I also know he did not have a generous spirit because a generous spirit doesn't ask for anything in return for obedience, for being obedient to God and giving what God asks us to give. A generous spirit simply wants to give because that's what God has asked us to do, and because that is the means through which God has, has allowed us an opportunity to contribute to the, to the kingdom work uh, in, in, in a financial way. But I, I knew what that meant. And, I, and I'll say this too, I have no idea whether the guy practiced biblical tithing or not, but if he didn't, I don't care what the dollar amount was that he gave. If he didn't practice biblical tithing, then he didn't give nearly as much as the single mom trying to, trying to put her kids through school and, and buy clothes for him with Anita, who was also trying to be obedient to the Lord in that area of her life. She was giving more than he was, no matter what his dollar amount may have been. Well, what we're talking about is a generous spirit. That's, what, that's, that's the solution when, when we struggle in this area of our life. Maybe you've read this Malachi uh, chapter uh, 3. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. By the way, that, that is uh, what I refer to as the double, double dog dare you doctrine. That's what I, I call that, the double, dare, double dog dare you doctrine. That is the only place in scripture that I know of where God actually asked us to test him. And it's in the area of giving. Um. Look at this in Luke chapter 6. Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. You know what that is? That's that's got generous spirit written all over That's what he's talking about. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart. God, I'm going to do this. Not grudgingly, I I guess I better do this. Lightning will probably strike or something if I don't. Not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And by the way, a generous spirit, generous spirit doesn't say, "Well, I, I can be cheerful giving twenty dollars a week." <laughs> I cannot be cheerful giving two hundred dollars a week. I, I'm just saying, proportionate is it, it just takes care of all that. Uh, and then uh, one more, First Timothy chapter six, instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, and ready to share. Listen, I, I just say this to you. If you struggle in the area of a generous spirit, ask God, God, give me a generous spirit. Help me to realize that all this stuff I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave behind because it's, because it's the kingdom that matters. And so generosity matters. Use what I give to, to build the kingdom and to accomplish your purposes, Lord God. And he does. It's an amazing thing that God invites us to, to be a part of this work with him. Generosity matters. Here's the second idea today. Ministry matters. Ministry matters. Let me uh, pick it up in verse 5 and uh, and read. Uh, But I will come to you after I go through Macedonia, for I am going through Macedonia. And perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may send me on my way wherever I may go. For I do not wish to see you now just in passing, for I hope to remain with you for some time if the Lord permits." But I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective service has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Now, if Timothy, comes to, if Timothy comes, see that he is with you without cause to be afraid, for he is doing the Lord's work as I also am. So let no one despise him, but send him on his way in peace, so that he may come to me, for I expect him with the brethren. Now, let me just say that this, here in verse 10, where Paul gives this, this concern, he clearly has some sort of concern for Timothy, and he gives this warning to the church in Corinth about Timothy coming to them. The reasons for that, honestly, is a bit of a mystery. He doesn't really elaborate, doesn't really explain. It could be that Timothy was, was, had kind of a shy, uh, kind of a timid spirit about him. Maybe he did. And, and, and so Paul knew that, that, that this would be tough for him. By the way, if that was at least part of the reason why Paul gives this warning, if that was part of the reason, if Timothy was kind of timid, kind of shy, kind of, you know, withdrawn, or if, if that was part of the reason, then one of the things says says to us is that our personal makeup, our per- particular personality is not, uh, is not an excuse to not engage in the work of the kingdom. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, Timothy's out here doing it. If if he was shy, if he was, in in other words, uh, if if I'm such that, man, I don't really really like talking out or the idea of sharing Jesus makes me break out in hives or I'm just afraid to talk to somebody about this. If if that's your particular uh, bent or, 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 or personality that does not excuse you or me from our calling to be fishers of men, to be ambassadors for Christ, that is our call no matter what. So, so maybe he's a little timid, maybe he's a little shy. But, but I think, I think, I can't say this for sure, but I think the primary reason why Paul gives this warning to the church in Corinth about Timothy is simply because Timothy was young. We live in a culture today where youth is, is held up as, as the ideal. You know, to look young, to be young, to act young. But historically, throughout history, civilizations have always put age, held age in high esteem. Those who are older, those who, those who have experienced more, gone through more, uh, have more wisdom in their life. That's historically what cultures have held up. Today, our culture is all about young. Ask, ask any actress in Hollywood over 40 years of age how many, how many parts she's getting these days. We, we live in a culture that promotes youth, but throughout history, cultures have really promoted the, the, the value of age. If you've ever read 1 Timothy, you may remember Paul writing this to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4. He said, "Look, no one, let no one look down on your youthfulness. Let no one look down on you. That's implying that people are apparently looking down on his youthfulness. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. Now, 1 Timothy was written almost certainly in 63 uh, 64 AD. And, Paul, and Timothy's dealing with, with youth issues <laughs> then. 1 Corinthians was written in 54 AD, at least nine years earlier. So, so Timothy came to Jesus early and he hit the ground running and he didn't let up and he didn't care. Well, I hope he didn't care. He apparently struggled with it, apparently had issues with it. Apparently people thought, ah, oh. Because in an ancient civilization, in an ancient culture, they would have tended to not hold a young person uh, as, a, as a person they could look at as a church leader. And Paul's warning is, y'all better not. Y'all better not hold this man's ministry up. Y'all better not keep this guy from ministering. Because, ladies and gentlemen, ministry matters. In the end, that's what it's always coming back to for Paul. It's, it's ministry that matters. Now, Paul wants to go and be in Corinth, right? He's made that clear. He, he, he wants to go in Corinth. He doesn't want to just pass through. He wants to go. He wants to stay. He wants to spend time with them. He, he probably needs to, to, to relax some. He probably needs to recharge his batteries. We all need that at times, right? I'm sure that, that's on Paul's mind and, and Corinth is and on his heart. And, and, he wants to go, and he wants to go there and he wants to be with them. But he says there's ministry to do. There's ministry to do before I can come to you. You see, ministry matters to Paul. And it ought to matter to us. I think it's interesting. It's very interesting to me that Paul says, I'm going I'm, I'm to stay in Ephesus until after Pentecost. Now, that's not, that's not the interesting part. Uh, the interesting part is his reason that he gives for why he's going to stay in Ephesus until after Pentecost. Look at what he says in uh, verse 9. For a wide door for effective service slash ministry, has opened for me. Watch this. And there are many adversaries. Many adversaries. Well, that's the t- time to get out of Dodge. That's that's the time to let's say, well, well, okay, a lot, of, a lot of problems here. I'm gonna go over to Corinth. I'm just gonna cool my jets. I'm just gonna take it easy. I'm gonna recharge my batteries, I'll let things calm down over there, and then maybe we'll go back and, and see what happens. But no, 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 no. Not for Paul. Ministry matters. You see, Paul knew something that you and I need to know. I want you to listen to me. Paul knew something that you and I need to know and we need to hold on to in times of adversity or uncertainty or doubt or fear. Here's what you and I need to know. Adversity to the gospel always leads to prosperity for the gospel. This is is just an historical fact, ladies and gentlemen. Throughout history, every time there has been adversity, adversity, in the body of Christ, adversity to the church, opposition, persecution, whatever you want to call it, hardships, every time there has been adversity, God has used that adversity to bring prosperity to the gospel, He's to expand uh, the gospel's reach, to, to see more people come into relationship with Jesus Christ. It's always happened, and you can track it, man, you can track it. The church tends to, to decline in times of material prosperity, but it tends to uh, grow in times of of adversity. And so Paul says, this is awesome, man. we got a lot of adversaries in Ephesus. That's what he's saying. He says, There's a lot of adversaries. I mean, here's what Paul, Paul knows, that if the enemy was throwing a lot at him, which he was, then that must mean that God's getting ready to do something big. And so he's like, man, I, I want to I come see y'all. Mm, got to stay here. Got to stay here right now. Listen, just, just this ministry matters. Jesus uh, says this to us in John chapter 4. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say you lift up your eyes and look on the fields that they are white for harvest. White for harvest. The idea, I think farmers would tell you in this case when grain, it's, it's actually past peak. It's got to be picked or it's going to be too late. We're going to lose the crop. And it's, it's because it matters. Galatians chapter 4. Uh, 6 verse 9 let us not lose heart in doing good for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary and then one uh, more in second thessalonians 3 but as for you brethren do not grow weary of doing good ministry matters everybody gets tired i know everybody needs to recharge their batteries but God just encourage you in what you're doing your ministry matters what you do matters and if you have me sitting here thinking well i'm not doing a whole lot ministry wise well that matters Talk to God about it. Talk to, talk, talk to us about it. We'll be happy to help you understand where you can serve in the body of Christ and, and, and how your ministry out in the world can have an impact on the world. Generosity matters. Ministry matters. Here's a third one. Maturity matters. In verse uh, 12 and uh, 13, y'all all right? But concerning Apollos, our brother, I encouraged him greatly to come to you with the brethren... And it was not at all his desire to come now. Hmm. But he will come when he has opportunity. Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Again, kind of like the other thing, it's, it's unclear exactly why Apollos is not willing to come to Corinth at this particular time. Clearly, Paul has been urging him, Go to Corinth. They need you now. Go to Corinth. You better go down there. It's not clear why Apollos is unwilling to go to Corinth. It could be that he was, was elbow deep in ministry himself, like Paul was, and he just couldn't get away. That could be the reason, but if it is, I, I can't understand why Paul would keep telling him, go to Corinth, go to Corinth, go to Corinth. If, if Apollos was, was elbow deep in ministry himself. This is pure speculation. I preface this by saying this is pure speculation. Speculation. But I think that Apollos doesn't want to go to Corinth yet. Apparently he's going to go. But I think he doesn't want to go. The reason Apollos doesn't want to go to Corinth has to do with some of the leadership preferences that had emerged in Corinth. If you guys have been with us in the series, you may remember all the way back in chapter 3, we found out that the church had become divided over particular leaders in the church. And there was was one section saying, man, we're following Peter. That guy's like the first pope, we're following that guy. And you had a group saying, we're following the Apostle Paul. He founded this church, we're going with that guy. And it says specifically that some were following Apollos. And he apparently was brilliant. I think Apollos doesn't want to go to Corinth because he doesn't want to contribute in any way to this childish, immature behavior that was going on in Corinth that was dividing the church over what really came down to personal preference. Oh, I like this guy's teaching. Oh, th- this guy wears a suit and tie. Oh, this guy uh, sings praise choruses. I, he, he's got to be our guy. You, you know what I'm saying? I, I, I think what really came down to personal preferences. I think Apollo said, I am not going to have until they grow up some. It's just not, I can't go yet. It's not time. I think that's why he won't go. And then Paul makes this statement about That has to do with maturity. I think Apollos wants them to grow up. Paul clearly wants them to grow up. He makes this statement. He says this in verse 13. Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. It's actually four military terms. I don't know if you're aware of this or not. But it was actually four military terms that the Apostle Paul uses there. First one. Be on the alert. Nothing. Some of you that have been in the military know this. I only know it from movies and stuff like that. But, but some of you that have been in the military know that, that nothing could be worse than a, than a soldier to fall asleep at post. Nothing could be worse because he or she has not only put their own life in danger, they have endangered uh, the entire post. They've endangered uh, all of their brothers and sisters' soldiers if they fall asleep at, at post. And Paul is saying, I mean, s- be on the alert, be awake be alert, stay in this. Make sure that you're expecting the enemy to, to bring a surprise attack because you know he's not going to rest. You know he doesn't want to see people come into the kingdom. So you have to be on the alert. Second, stand firm in the faith. It's a present active Verb In the perfect tense, it refers to an event that took place in the past that, that, that is, is causing this continual uh, tense uh, now. In other words, if you have made Christ your Savior, if you have committed your life to Jesus Christ so, sometime in the past, whenever that was, now stand firm in your faith. No matter, don't let anything rock you, shake you, move you. You stand firm in this thing. And then he says, act like men. That is not a put-down, by the way, ladies. It's not a put-down. He's simply expressing the reality of of a battle that's what's going on. Paige Patterson, in his commentary, really kind of captures the idea and says that it really might better be translated this way. Behave in the midst of the fray, in the midst of the battle, like men and not like cowards or youth. In other words, don't don't shrink back, don't be afraid, don't but 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 act like men that's gonna stand up to to, to the battle, gonna, gonna, gonna take this thing on. The enemy is and all that's going on in this thing. And then the, the last one that he has is be strong. Be strong. Krateo is the is the Greek verb that is used. Uh, it, it literally means to subdue or to vanquish. So it's not talking about like a kind of a passive kind of of strength Again, uh, Patterson says, says this, the sense of the word is not so much passive strength as it is aggressive onslaught. Now listen to what he's saying. Not so, and this, is what, this is what Paul's saying. It's not so much about passive strength as it is aggressive onslaught. An offensive maneuver rather than a defensive one is what is envisioned here. In other words, the, the, the people of God are, 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 are standing, standing at post, alert, They're standing firm in their faith. They're they're standing up and acting like men in battle, but we are not standing still. We are moving forward. We are taking the field. We are moving forward in the battle for men and women's lives, their eternal destinies. not everyone will accept Christ. Many people may end up in hell. Many people may reject the gospel, but it will not be because we were, were too unconcerned or or too uncaring or or too busy to, to try and impact people's lives. We're going to take the field. We're going to move forward. We're going to try and do whatever we can for the glory of God and the building of His kingdom. That's what matters here, whether you're you're 16 or 65 or 12 or 82. It doesn't matter. That's our call. Ministry matters maturity matters so before i go on real quickly can i just say this to you how are you doing in that area are you are are, do you feel like you're maturing in your walk with christ is that what you're doing listen in um, in the book of matthew in matthew chapter 16 jesus asked the disciples an an important question he says "Uh, who do people say that i am and uh, they say, well, so, some say you're John the Baptist resurrected, and some say you're Elijah, and some think you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter, bless his heart, <laughs> the guy is always swinging for the fences and, and, and missed a lot of times. This time he absolutely knocked it out of the ballpark. He said, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus affirms his, his theologically correct answer, and then Jesus says this to him in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18. I also say to you that you're, you're Peter. And some of you know this. I've said this before. Uh, Jesus uses a play on word. Peter in, in Greek is, is, uh, is petras. Uh, it means a, a little stone, a little pebble. And he was. He was hard. He was stubborn. He was all those things. You're, you're Peter. You're a little stone. And upon this, and, and then Jesus changes in Greek It's from petras to petra, which means essentially means gigantic boulder. And upon this rock, this statement that you've just made, you're the Christ, you're the Son of the living God, upon this rock, upon what you've just said, Peter, that's what I'm going to build my church. And here's what I want, want, want to emphasize. And the gates of Hades will not overpower. Literally, will not be able to stand against it. It's taking the field. It's, it's being strong for the sake of the gospel. That's what God is asking each and every one of you in here today. If you know Christ as your Savior, maturity matters. And let me give you one more. Love matters. Love matters. Let me read it as quickly as I can to you, picking it up in verse 14. Let all that you do be done in love. Now I urge you, brethren, you know that the household of Stephanus, that they were the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves for ministry to the saints, that you also be in subjection to such men and to everyone who helps in the work and labors. I rejoice over the coming of Stephanas and Fortunatus and Achaicus because they have supplied what was lacking on your part. For they have refreshed my spirit and yours, therefore acknowledge such men. The churches of Asia greet you, Aquila and Prisca, abbreviation for Priscilla, greet you, greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. All the brethren greet you, greet one another with a holy kiss, The greeting, this greeting, the greeting is in my own hand, Paul. If anyone does not love the Lord, he is to be accursed. Maranatha, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. And with that, he closes the letter. Love matters. Love matters for salvation. Can I say that to you? Love matters for salvation. This, uh, this phrase when Paul says, let him be accursed. Y'all read that in there? Y'all like, wow, that's a, that's a little strong. Let him be accursed. Listen, that is, Paul's not calling a curse down. You understand? Paul's not calling a curse down on, on the people that reject Christ. Paul is simply stating the reality of their current condition. They are accursed. If a person dies without without the love of Christ in in their life, without loving Christ, and and loving the Lord, giving their life to Him, if a person dies in that condition, they they are accursed. They are separated from God for all of eternity. And Paul's simply stating that as a reality. Love matters for salvation. Acts chapter 4 says this, And there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Listen to me, if you're here today, and I don't, I don't know, I don't know anybody's spiritual business, I know what people can say sometimes, or how, what, but if you're here today and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you've never truly committed your life to Jesus Christ, listen to me, If you, want, you are accursed, And if you want to move, if you genuinely want to move from the accursed camp to the accepted camp, there's only one thing that you can do. Romans chapter 10, verse 13. Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Calling on Him, committing my life by faith in His finished work on the cross, believing that He died for me, accepting His gift of pardon for my sins and forgiveness of my sins due to His sacrifice on the cross. Love matters for salvation. Know how much God loves you and He wants you to experience His love. Love matters for life as well. Did you see where Paul said there, let all that you do be done in love. Let all that you do be done in love. Can I tell you this? Love is the motivation for everything we've talked about Today generosity is not a problem when you love. Ministry is not a problem when you got the love of God. Maturity, desiring to grow and, and know God more intimately, more fo- more fully, more perfectly is not a problem when you love. Love is, love is the solution for, for all of that, which is what that, that magnificent chapter back in chapter 13 of this letter, where Paul says it's love. It's, all, it's, all, it's about love. And, and love should be the this this overarching thing that envelops the us, because we follow the God who is love. So that it, naturally, if we have a relationship with Him, that love should spill out on other people around us. It should spill out the the way I treat my my uh, my my boss or my employees or if I'm employer or or whatever the case may be. The way the way I, I uh, interact with my neighbors, with my family members, the kind of husband that I am, the kind of wife that I am, the kind of of child that I am. Uh, All of it, all of it, all of it, all of life is influenced by this thing called godly love. Love matters for salvation. Love matters for life. Let me just say this. Love matters for the body of Christ. Love matters for the body of Christ. It is love that allows you and me to put up with each other, With our with our quirkiness and eccentricities. It is love that allows this eclectic mix of people from different backgrounds and different ethnicities and and, and, and different likes and different dislikes and different preferences and different it is love. For the body of Christ that draws us together and allows us to come alongside each other and work side by side, shoulder to shoulder. It allows us to sacrifice for each other. It allows us to serve each other. It allows us to give for each other. It allows us to to be the body of Christ. It's all because of love. Love. That's what matters. That's what matters for the body of Christ. This love of God which... It affects my decisions, my life. It, everything should come off of that. In Romans chapter 12, Paul says, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Preference, I think I can speak to the Apostle Paul and say, Preference over yourself is what he's saying. Give preference to the other person instead of yourself because that's. That's what godly love does. And then <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 3, what I would pray for, for the body of Christ, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, That you may be filled up to the fullness of God. That was Paul's heartbeat. That was the passion and desire of his life. That the church in Corinth. The church in Raleigh. The church all over the world would be filled up. That we would know the breadth and height and width and depth of, of this love. And that we'd be filled with this love of Christ. A love that the world does not have and cannot understand unless we're willing to share it with them. So that each person can come to know this God of love, can know who He is. They may accept, they may reject Him, but they can know through us this love. And it's important, it's critical, it matters to the body of Christ. In the midst of stuff that we go through, uncertainties, trials, hardships, difficulties, to be able to turn to one another and to know that a brother or sister is there and is going to be with each other, going to link arms, and going to say, God will, God will work in each and every situation and I'm hurting here or this is going on there or, or I, I, this has happened in my life. Love. Love matters. Amen?
0: generosity, ministry, maturity, and love. The Apostle Paul closes out his first letter by reminding us of what really matters for followers of Jesus Christ. In our hectic and crowded lives, it's easy to forget what really matters. But if we keep our focus on what God says matters, we'll live the lives he wants for us, lives that matter. We invite you to join us on a Sunday morning at Cross Culture Church. We gather each week in a casual and contemporary atmosphere to celebrate the goodness of our God. Cross-culture may be a little different from what you're thinking. Sure, we're a church, but instead of religion, we're about a relationship, a community of believers where Jesus is revealed in the lives of each person, real people who truly care, solid biblical teaching from Pastor Clay Stevens, and the most energetic, fun, and safe kids program around. Find out more at crossculture.church Cross Culture Church in North Raleigh Taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.